Black Widow had a huge opening weekend with premium VOD playing a significant role in its success. Will Hollywood allow Peabot to dominate or will theatre going return to its former central role? Listen on to find out. This week's edition of the Inside the Stream podcast. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and that was Colin Dixon at the very beginning there. Hey, Colin from uh, Screen Media, of course. Hey, how's everything? I'm good, Will. It's a beautiful day. Lots to talk about, of course. We had a great, great Fourth of July week. I took a, took a bit of time off. What about you? Well, first of all, your tone is remarkably chipper having just experienced the loss of England, experiencing the loss of the century or whatever, the loss of the half century just a few <laughs> days ago. So I'm glad to see you're not moping about any longer. Oh, I can't say I wasn't, Will, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Roberto Mancini and the Italian team, uh, he, he coached a great game and they played really well and they triumphed in the penalties and England once again lost a penalty shootout. But... Uh, <laughs> Brutal. Uh, we'll be back. We'll be back for the World Cup. Brutal. Well, I'm not a soccer fan, so I was only following it tangentially, but I can only imagine the heartbreak. But anyway, let's go ahead and get into it. Um, we are going to start with a couple of news stories this week, Colin, and then we're going to discuss Disney's release of uh, Black Widow on D Plus and in theater. Fascinating topic. I'm just going to get started quickly with my uh, story that hit my radar this week. And that is Netflix, which, of course, is going to report earnings next week. We might be talking about that on next week's podcast. But for this week, Netflix announced that they have hired a former VP of Electronic Arts and Facebook to lead their effort into the gaming space. And I have to say, first blush, Colin, I like it. I think it's really smart on their part and a very nice compliment to the originals and everything else they're doing in the video space. So I like the move and um, we'll wait and see how it, the details flesh out. But directionally, I think it's really smart. I do too, Will. Uh, I've I got to tell you, it is pretty challenging delivering a high quality gaming experience stream. So I'm no doubt they're busily working on their infrastructure and um, you know their open connect cache server to try and uh, make sure it performs really well but hey it could be really timely if they have something to say next week when they announce uh, when they announce their results for q2 because i don't think either of us are expecting much there from a subscriber growth right it's going to be a tough quarter it's going to be really interesting to see what happens i think that there's at least 50 50 odds they're going to lose subscribers domestically and hard to predict what's going to happen internationally. But I, yeah. I you know, we have talked about this many times in the past that their reckoning was coming domestically over a year ago and COVID saved the day. That, that, uh, that game is up at this point. So who knows? I think so. I think so. But anyway, my story of the week, I think this is the first, Will. Um, the professional bull riders... A, um, group had launched a service, an SVOD service in early 2018 called Ride Pass. It was $7.99 a month, and their deal was, um, oh, and actually it increased to $10 a month. And what they were really providing was uh, Western Sports. They called themselves the Netflix of Western Sports. 
and they were providing on-demand content and live rodeo broadcasts. Well, they have decided completely to change their business model. They've signed an agreement with Pluto TV, and starting July 20th, there will be a Ride Pass channel exclusively available on Pluto TV, and they are going to a free ad-supported model. And I guess they'll be shutting down their SVOD service and you'll be able to watch the live rodeos. The, uh, they'll probably be mixing in some of the on-demand content, uh, creating that, uh, playlisting that into a 24-7 channel. And I assume that they'll have some on-demand content available as well in the service. And I think this is pretty amazing. I don't think we've ever seen an SVOD service give it up and decide to go V-Linear in a fast service, have we? Colin, I didn't take you for a bull riding fan, but you're speaking with a lot of enthusiasm in your voice for this thing going free. Oh my goodness, I'm totally <laughs> going to check this out. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of fun to watch. I, I don't know about you, but uh, being able to watch it for free would certainly get me there at least occasionally you, to, to check you, it out. You go to those bars and ride that mechanical bull? Is that what you're doing in your spare time? <laughs> I think I've been thrown off that thing once or twice, yes. Oh, my God. Break out the video, Colin. Break out the video. People want to see it. <laughs> but uh, we have a really interesting main story today, uh, and it's all about Black Widow's release. And you did a really pretty detailed analysis of this, Will, so catch us up on this. I have a bee in my bonnet about Black Widow, and I can't shake it loose. I will readily concede. Uh, I just find this absolutely fascinating. Woke up Monday morning to these reports that, which were based on numbers that Disney proactively released, which is unheard of, that they had um, in opening weekend, Black Widow in opening weekend had done a $158.8 million at the box office, about evenly split between domestic and international, and another $60 million in rentals on Disney+. Plus. They said that there were um, basically $2 million Disney Plus rentals at $30, <clears throat> excuse me, $30 a piece, $60 million. So, of course, the big question, and there has been so much commentary and reporting on this, but the question is what to interpret from these numbers is it, um, you know, a harbinger of streaming becoming an even bigger deal and Disney Plus becoming an even bigger deal as an opening window? Or is it a, an anomaly that's primarily due to COVID hangover or what? And so I spent some time reading what's out there, thinking about it, talking to a few people in the industry, and at the risk of sounding completely mealy-mouthed, came away feeling that, for now at least, it's a real brain teaser to figure out what's going on here. And anybody that's drawing any definitive conclusions from these numbers, or even semi-definitive for that matter, I think is really on sort of a bridge too far. It's just not enough data yet to really conclude anything. So the really, really quick analysis here is that if you make some assumptions about how much Disney's take is on box office, and I just assumed 46%, and I totally grant that that number could be three or four points too high, it could be three or four points too low. It's sort of anybody's guess. But if you make that assumption around 46%, that means the total revenue that Black Widow pulled in in that first weekend was about, <coughs> excuse me, about 133 million 
with the Disney Plus rental representing about 45% box office, the other 55%. So on the one hand, you know, when you think about that, my first reaction was, wow, Disney Plus launched a year and a half ago, basically, from a standing start and now has over 100 million subscribers. They layered on this extra PVOD model at 30 bucks a pop, and lo and behold, Black Widow gets 45% of its opening weekend revenue off the PVOD model. That's that's pretty impressive. But then you start thinking, okay, well, they got 45 this year, maybe they could get 60% next year, maybe they could drive it to 75% the following year, and pretty soon you start extrapolating, and the conclusion you'll reach is that theaters are going to be out of business within five years. But I think that's being too optimistic. I think that's being too streaming centric. Um, and there are a bunch of reasons for, you know, well-founded hesitancy there. Um, and there's also, I think, lots of reasons to believe that Black Widow 45% could actually be the start of even higher percentages for Disney+. Plus. There, I think, are arguments on both sides of that case. And then there are all kinds of other things that aren't even related to Black Widow specifically, like, you know, how would another type of non-tentpole movie do? What is it happens by calendar season, by geography? Then there's this whole question of China, because uh, Black Widow didn't, hasn't even opened in China yet. So all those numbers that I just mentioned are without China factored in. So throw China in and everything goes, all the assumptions go out the window. So there's a lot of stuff going on there, and it gets even more complicated when you try to think about what the unit profitability is for Disney on streaming versus theatrical. And you and I were talking before we got started, the delivery cost for both, for both streaming and for theatrical, is probably pretty small. On theatrical, it's probably pennies. Uh, for streaming, it maybe is around 5% of each stream. It may even be less than that. It's it's hard to pin it down exactly all in. The big cost, of course, is marketing. And in this hybrid streaming theatrical world, how do you even allocate marketing for one channel versus the other? Is there any assumption that can underpin why dollar marketing dollars should be allocated to streaming versus theatrical. It's it's a really naughty problem. And so where I end up in all of this is that the only thing to conclude is that, you know, look, it's 45%. Black Widow did 45% on streaming, 55% theatrical. You can't make any conclusions about what the next movie or the next movie or the next movie is going to do. But for now, the only thing that we can know for sure is that theatrical is still meaningful. And sure, long-term theatrical is trending down. I wrote about that last week. There's no question about that. But the long-term is a long time by definition. And in the meantime, in the short-term, in the midterm, theatrical still matters a lot to Disney and to the other studios. And for that reason alone, what I wrote was that if I were the CEO of Disney or Universal or Paramount or whatever, I would not be too quick to kind of put my foot on the necks of the CEOs of the theater chains because they are still a necessary part of the ecosystem. And eventually, yes, they'll become a less important part, but for now, they're still an important part. And the studios need to figure out 
what the balance is between theatrical and streaming. And it's going to take a long, long time to collect enough data to really figure out what that balance looks like. So it's a, I think it's a really fascinating issue. No conclusions yet, but uh, one that we're going to obviously learn lots and lots more about as we go forward. Yeah, yeah, I think, um, I think, you know, broadly, I think I'm in agreement with your conclusions, Will. Um, just to give a little bit of context about how well Black Widow did in this opening, and it really did pretty darn well. Just looking at the theater revenue, it would, would, would have been a top 25 ever opening movie. But if you add in Disney Plus, the Disney Plus revenue, that puts it at like a top top four, top five, just uh, ahead of Jurassic Jurassic World, which opened in June 2015 with $209 million, and just behind Star Wars The Last Jedi, which opened December 2017 uh, with $220 million. So it's a, pretty, it's a pretty successful opening, that's for sure. Um, and really, that $60 million kicked in by Disney Plus is a is a very, very important, I think, part of the picture now. Um, do I, so, so what, do I, what do I think is going to happen in the future? Well, I think Disney now is in love with this idea that Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, they are more than simply SVOD services or, or, or um, video streaming services. They, I think they think of them more as sort of like an, a membership. And membership brings benefits, including a lot of free content, but also exclusive access for additional, additional charges. So ESPN Plus does this with MMA. They're, they're the exclusive home for MMA now. So if you want to watch the MMA fights, you have to be a Disney, uh, an ESPN Plus subscriber and they've just increased the price of that another dollar um uh, so you know that's and they seem to be following this exact same model with disney plus so i don't think disney will back away from doing these um these premieres inside of disney plus along with theater premieres i think that they've what they've proved to themselves is the model works As you say, this is a long way from saying that this is the exclusive way that they can they can market movies. Um, Disney has been the most vocal supporter of the theater experience. They have said time and time again that their movies are produced with theater delivery in mind. Um, And so I think. This, the performance of uh, Black Widow in the theaters proves that there's still plenty of legs left in the theater business. Um, but I went back and I looked, I think you looked at that data as well. I looked at the data for how theaters were performing domestically over the last, what, um, 20 odd years. And really theater ticket sales, the number of ticket sales peaked in 2002. And they've really steadily declined ever since then. I think we're about 30% down from that peak of 1.58 billion, I think it was, in 2002. We're about 30% down from there in 2019. So we were in decline before, and obviously it went off a cliff in 2020 and, and 
2021 is just recovering now. Um, so there are long-term effects, and I think that one of the long-term effects will be that there that this is just going to accelerate that decline. There's a lot of people who will go less, and many people and some people who were going somewhat occasionally who just won't go anymore. They'll they'll stay home. So I think that that effect is very definitely going to have an impact. And that almost guarantees that if they want to maximize revenue on a movie, they've pretty much got to do this to do that, right? To leverage that broader marketing push that they put behind the theaters to get a premium price for that movie in that window in in a person's home to people who would have spent that if they'd gone to the theater. So I, you know, I think COVID has definitely accelerated and proved, it's given a chance to the industry to prove that they can make real money doing this. Now, are they going to come back? I think they're still going to come back and support the movie experience. But I really, like you, I really do wonder if people stop going and a lot of people just start saying, well, I can get as good a, an experience in my home as I can in the theaters and I don't have to deal with all of that. Is it just reduced to date night? <laughs> the, occasional, <laughs> well, the occasional date night that the, the theater business right. becomes? I don't know. Right. I mean... We're certainly not going to solve any of these problems in the next, you know, eight to 10 minutes that we have. There are a lot of different things going on and it's hard to kind of separate and unpack one from the other. But I have to say, Colin, from my standpoint, last week I wrote this piece, Five Reasons Going to the Movies is Facing an Irreversible Demise. And one of the reasons that I raised is that the quality of streaming TV and the quality of movies are going in completely opposite directions. And, you know, we can all agree that streaming TV is unbelievable. I mean, the choices, the production quality, the talent, the this, that, I mean, there's no end to the amount of enjoyable streaming TV that there's on. So we can all agree on that. But what really opened my eyes was when I went back and looked at the movies that were released 40 years ago, 1980, 81, 82. And you look at that list, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Ordinary People, The Great Santini, Coal Miner's Daughter, Fort Apache, The Bronx, Body Heat, Raging Bull, Private Benjamin, Fame. The list goes on and on. These are incredible movies. And I personally would line up to see any of those movies of that quality today if they were available. The problem is they simply are not made by studios any longer. Yes, there are independent movies. Yes, there are art house movies. Yes, I go to see those when they're available, but not in the type of volume or impact of the new of the movies that I just mentioned. So to some extent, this is a problem of Hollywood's making. They decided a long time ago to back off of making these really compelling movies that were not, you know, sequelable or prequelable or whatever the right word is. And they lost their way. And as a result, Netflix and others saw an opening. They ran right through it. And now we're at a point, as you said, that lots of people just are happy enough to stay at home. And, you know, why bother going to the movies? And COVID was just icing on the cake. So it's, it's a really tough problem. I think once a industry has basically 
lost its product quality to get it back. And I don't know what, if anything, can reverse that. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm in agreement. And definitely, there were two there were two things going on here. I think will I, I wonder my, myself. I wonder where is that creative talent? Are they just not making? Are they just not doing this anymore? And I think there were two things going on. One, you hit upon. You just said is Netflix. Um, Netflix is now co-opting a lot of that talent. Um, and I've got to say, so is HBO. HBO. They're co-opting them to make movies in their stable. So that's one thing. Uh, the other thing that's going on is that a lot of the creative energies that went into creating those movies, I think, now are now directed towards creating theatre-quality series like Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad, that those types of stories which unfold over a much longer period of time. And people just, it just gives people an opportunity to see character development you just can't do in a two-hour movie. Uh, so I think that's where a lot of the creative energy has gone that would normally have been doing that in that, in that context, Will. Because if you think about it, they really couldn't do that back in the 80s and 90s because they, they were very limited in, in their ability to release that type of content. And of course, binging didn't exist then. The TV quality itself was considerably below uh, movie theater quality. Sound, sound quality was below as well. So you really couldn't achieve high quality viewing situations in the home. Whereas you can now, most people do have a great, a great looking TV. So I think, I think that's, that's absorbed a lot of the creative energy. It's also absorbed a lot of the viewing energy that viewers have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're just spending a lot more time with these yeah. longer, longer um, experiences of Game of Thrones. I, I, I think you're absolutely right, Colin. And there's, there's no arguing what you just said. I guess my reaction is that while streaming and 10-hour series that delve into every little backstory of the character's existence are highly enjoyable... It's lamentable that we cannot also still have two-hour high-quality experiences in a dark auditorium on a big screen. And, you know, for what it's worth, last night, we're recording on Thursday, last night I watched Risky Business on HBO Max, 1983, Tom Cruise's breakout role with my teenage son and wife. And, you know, you watch a movie like that or any of the other movies I just mentioned before, and it is two hours of transportation into another world where you're completely gripped. And that's all you need. You don't need 10 hours. You don't need four seasons. You don't need eight seasons. Two hours of being gripped like that is just a fantastic experience, all the more so in a darkened auditorium with you know 300 other people on a big screen. We don't have that experience anymore. And it's really, to me, it's really a bummer that somehow this has become a mutually exclusive situation and there's seemingly no way to reverse out of it as best I can tell. Yeah, yeah, I must admit, I, I, I long for those experiences <laughs> where you walk into that theater and the next thing you know, the lights go up and you've just been so entertained to it. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. But I will say, Will, here's the thing, 
the home quality is just going to get better and better until I think there really will be no difference between the quality at all that you see at home uh, and uh, as in the theater. I had a really interesting conversation with Richard Miller, who's EVP of technology at Pixelworks. And he was talking about uh, a new motion grading uh, technology that this company is bringing to uh, to producers of movies that allows them to really control uh, how the movie is seen and make sure it is seen. More importantly, making sure that it is seen in the way the movie maker intended on televisions. And uh, there, there is mo- many TVs today have movie mode but they really don't, they're really difficult to, to get right and they really don't, um, don't render the movie in a very favorable way, primarily because the frame rates don't match. And I've got a, if people are really interested in this topic, they should come and check out this interview I've got on my site with uh, Richard Miller. Uh, it's, um, it's called Getting the Movie Maker Experience at Home. So. Uh, anyway, I think he, what he says basically is when this technology rolls out, the the stream will just tell the TV how to set itself up for optimum quality and you won't have to worry about it. So I really think you're going to get it. But Colin, with no disrespect to him, the technology or any of the other technologies out there, Risky Business doesn't have a single ounce of technology, CGI, anything in it. And that movie, every scene in that movie stands completely on its own based on the writing, the acting, the directing. There's no substitute for that type of a compelling story, well told and well acted. And the more technology, you know, sort of great hooray, but like, that's not what I'm in the market for. I'm in the market for great writing, great acting and great directing on the big screen in two hours with 300 other people. Where do I go for that? And the answer, unfortunately, is increasingly nowhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway. I guess my, 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 my last point is the, you know, when you have a movie that's that good, quality that you see it in is less important. Yeah. It'll suck you in. However, Absolutely. I mean, some of the greatest, greatest experiences I've had have been on crappy TVs. Absolutely. Like the first time I saw The Matrix, the first time I saw The Shawshank Redemption. These are all not that great a TV, and I was totally wrapped up in that movie, just as I would be in a theater. But as you say, it's kind of sad to not be in that in that theater where you can ooh and ah with all of your fellow viewers. Huge bummer. Anyway, we'll leave it on that sad note for today, <laughs> Colin, <laughs> I think so. and hope for happier days ahead somewhere surprisingly down the road. So um, great chatting, of course, as always, trying to parse all this through. It sure was. And we will see everybody next week. We have Netflix earnings next week, Colin. So that's going to be a big one we may be talking about. That could be the topic. And I'll say thanks to everyone for listening in on this week's edition of Inside the Stream. And we'll see you all again next week. Inside the Stream is a production of in-screen media and video news. All rights reserved.